Good. I see some people back there. I can barely see the people in the back, but I see you back there, and I'm happy you're here. Little Sam's back there. He is the best baby. Does he cry? Occasionally? Do what? Okay, okay, okay. Um, all right, let me get myself. Sorry. I just wanted to get up there and lead this week, or help, so... Y'all have to just bear with listening to me for a little bit. Hey, um, hey! I wanted to uh, recap a little bit of last week. I'm happy to report that uh, I have checked 6,000 times. My fly is not down right now, and it won't be down. So last week, I uh, got up here and did the first five minutes with that happening, so that was fun. Can't get any worse, okay? So I'm happy that uh, we took care of that and everything. I they got a lot of, listen, we're in a lot of Facebook groups with pastors, and stuff uh, that do the same things we do every week. And, you know, every Sunday night, there's always like, hey, you know, our computer stopped working and we didn't have slides or, you know, hey, our, someone got COVID and our children's person couldn't be there. And I just dropped the bomb on them. Like, I preached the first five minutes with my fly down last week. So your week was pretty good, I think. You know, like I can handle this about anything else. So anyway, other than that happening last week, we actually talked about a person in the Bible named David, and uh, we, we started a new series called Lions, Tigers, and Bears. Okay, y'all have to do a lot better than that. It's, there's an exclamation point after, oh my. So we got a, oh my, right? Okay, lions, giants, and bears. Did you feel the difference? I felt the difference. It was really good. Okay, so we started this series. We're talking about the life of David and how he was known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. He was known as that because he decided to be a different person, right? He was a different person. We learned about last week how he defeated Goliath, but we really talked about he was able to defeat Goliath because what was on the inside of David mattered. You've all heard the phrase, it's what's on the inside that counts, right? Typically, we tie that to dating when somebody tries to set you up with someone and they're ugly, right? And you're like, well, it's what's on the inside that counts, you know? Well, we're talking about something a little different, a little bit deeper than that. What's on the inside of you matters. What you're made of, it really matters. And David was made of the right stuff. So we looked at David and said, well, what was he made of? Well, he was made of faithfulness. When no one was around, he was taking care of his dad's sheep. How many people in here love the movie, The Patriot? Come on. I didn't hear anybody, but okay, I'll take the hand raises as something. Okay, The Patriot, one of the all-time greatest films ever made. Um, I love that movie, and if you love that movie, you probably love it for the same reason I do. And it's because the good guy wins at the end, and the good guy beats a really bad guy. Like, the bad guy in The Patriot is the worst. He's also... If you don't know what the Patriot is, if you're young in here, he was uh, Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter movies. So he's that guy. That guy's the worst too, okay? So this, this actor plays like the best bad guy of all time. But you love that movie because at the end of the day, Mel Gibson wins, right? At the end of the day, Mel Gibson revenge, avenges, avenges, avenges the, the death of his two sons. And he beats the bad guy. And if you think about your favorite book, if you think about your favorite movie, I want you to think about it. You probably like it because the good guy beats the bad guy at the end of the movie, right? If you look at your favorite, like the good guy wins. I love those movies. I love when there's a great bad guy, but I like it more when the good guy beats him at the end. Well, today we're gonna look at a story of David and he's the good guy, but he's going against a bad guy and he's going against a bad guy for a really, really, really long time. 
And so we're going to look at this story. And before we get there, I want to kind of catch you up a little bit. This, the, the story of David takes place over several books of the Bible. And so I'm just going to quickly give to you what you need to know. David comes in. I'm sorry, Samuel comes in and he anoints David as king at David's house. After that happens, David, that type of warfare is happening all throughout this time. And the way that things worked was, if you could kill the king, then you became the king. And the thing with David was, is that the dude knew how to fight. He had proved it. He killed Goliath and he killed the tens of thousands of people. People knew what David was capable of. And so all this time, David's getting all this credit He's really anointed king. The kingdom is rightfully his. And Saul, the king, the acting king, he's sitting over in the corner and he's pouting. And he's thinking, man, this little teenager, I should have never let him beat Goliath. Now everybody likes him. Nobody likes me. I'm the one that God chose to be the king in the first place. God didn't pick David when he picked me to be king. And he gets jealous. And he ends up hating David. Like hating him to the point where he's trying to lure David out into the wilderness so that he could kill him. So he could just get rid of David, this problem that Saul has, right? But the problem is, is that David catches wind of these things. Every time Saul tries to trick him, David finds out about it, and David's able to evade King Saul. Well, this goes on, and it escalates for many years. Now, there's doesn't say in the Bible exactly how long this took, but people estimate that David was actually a fugitive running from Saul for seven years. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. We'll get there in a second, but the Bible talks about how David had 400 men. They were soldiers, they were loyal to him, and they would fight with him. They, would, they were like his boys. Saul had 3,000 men, and they were, the Bible calls them elite troops. It was like 3,000 SEAL Team 6 members were protecting Saul at all time, ready to fight, ready to take David out any time that David came along. And for seven years, they played this cat and mouse game. All of a sudden, David would go hide in a cave. Someone would rat David out, and Saul would bring all of his troops over to go try to find David in the cave. He couldn't find it, and they found out David had moved over here. He would move. This happened for seven years. Think about this. Seven years, you're not able to sleep at night. For seven years, you, you have to always be looking over your shoulder. For seven years, you're on high alert. For seven years, King Saul is intimidating your family. He's strong-arming your family. Where is he? I know he's committed. Where is he? Where is he? And the kingdom is literally breathing down your neck. For seven years, you can't rest. You can't take a day off. You can't ever stop hiding. You're living in caves. You're living at campsites. You're living in the wilderness. You can't be around anybody. And this was David's life for seven years years until one day something happened. One day, it seems like everything would have changed. And so here's what happened. If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 1. David's been running. He's been evading everything. And all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. It says this, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men there, near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a 
cave to relieve himself. Now, does that mean what you think it means? Yes, it does, all right? So here's what, and that's really important. Now, I don't wanna sit here and talk about potty in church, but it's really important. Saul, it was like the president. So think about the president. The president never goes anywhere without hundreds of secret service people around him at all times, right? There's people at his side. There's people uh, surrounding him to where no one can get to him. Saul was the same way. Saul had 3,000 troops. And the only place the president can go, the only place that King Saul could go in this moment is to the bathroom by himself, right? They're not following Joe Biden, President Joe Biden into the bathroom. They're not following King Saul into this cave as he's going to the bathroom. That's really important. King Saul, he's alone. He's sitting right there. No one's there to protect him. And the Bible says this. He goes in to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Of all the caves, of all the places Saul could have pulled off on his little, no one would ever know. Like this, God's given you this opportunity, right? And so the Bible says this, David. So David crept forward. I want you to imagine like you're there. You're in this cave. David creeps forward. King Saul sitting right there. I don't know what he was doing, but he was sitting right there. David gets out his knife, and all the troops are just ready to go. As soon as he starts to go after Saul, like they're ready to jump. But David does something different. The Bible says this. He gets out his knife, and he cuts off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. David doesn't kill him. He doesn't take advantage of the situation. And the men are furious, right? Can you imagine David, the guy that can kill anybody? He's a war hero. He's proven himself time and time again. Your trusted leader, the guy that was the king, finally has an opportunity on it to pounce, and he just cuts off his robe. And the Bible says this, starting in verse five, verse, or uh, chapter 24, verse five. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. And listen to this. These dudes were probably mad, ready to like, if he's not gonna do it, I'm gonna do it for him, right? And it said, so David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. If you were one of those troops, if I was one of those troops, I would be so mad. I'm like, David, we've been homeless for seven years. You had your chance to end it right now, and you didn't take it. I would be ready to kill Saul at this point, right? But David knew that's not who he wanted to be. It's not who he wanted to be. So he, uh, David must have been the best leader of all time, the greatest man of all time, because somehow these people stick with him. Somehow after this moment, they, or Saul leaves the cave. This is actually a pretty cool thing. Saul leaves the cave, and then David shouts out to him after his men are off in the distance and holds up a piece of his robe and tells Saul, like, hey, I spared your life, dude. And that still didn't stop Saul. His men, uh, David's men, finally, they move on to another patch of land, and they're sitting there. And the Bible says this in chapter 26, verse 2. So Saul, he took three. right where David was hiding. And when David learned that Saul had come after him <clears throat> into the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report. David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. 
Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. So let me paint the picture for you. Saul was in the middle. Think of a target. All of his 3,000 troops would sleep in a little target like rings. All It's getting wider and wider so that they could protect their king. If someone came to attack, they'd have to go through all 3,000 people before they got to Saul. Well, David slips by all those people. They fall asleep, and David is standing near Saul, starting in verse 7, chapter 26. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with the spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep all around them. And then here's what Abishai, David's friend, says. I went with him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. And I love this part right here. This is like bad to the bone. He said, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of that spear. I won't need to strike twice. He was like, listen, I got this one shot. I can get him, and he'll never be a problem again, David. We're all by ourselves. His, you can kill him with his own spear. Like, how amazing is that, right? Like, if this was a movie, that would be awesome. And so Abishai's like, let me do it. Please, let me do it. Come on, we can end this right now. And here's David's response in verse nine. No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul dead someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one that he has anointed. If you were standing there for the second time, you had your opportunity to end it. David had his opportunity to take what was rightfully his. He had already been anointed king. The kingdom was his. And for the second time, David thought, I can't do it. David, and it's because David had already decided who he wanted to be. David had already decided the man that he wanted to be. He wanted to be a man after God's own heart. And he knew that a man after God's own heart doesn't kill anybody in cold blood. He doesn't kill anybody because they're angry with him. No matter what the culture said at the time, no matter what the rules of engagement were at the time, that's not what David wanted to be. If David would have killed Saul, he would have been exactly like Saul. And David knew the people of Israel, they didn't need another Saul. They needed someone different. They needed someone better. They needed somebody that was godly, that followed the things of the Lord, that didn't take situations into their own hands. And so he decided not to. And I want you to understand today that you are really no different than David in this story. You have things in your life that might be, it feels like they're chasing after you. It feels like that things are breathing down your neck. You're experiencing some hurt. David was experiencing a lot of hurt. He was being literally chased around for seven years from a person that should have, uh, that should have celebrated him, right? But all of a sudden, Saul starts pursuing him, starts trying to kill him. He's probably killed some of his family members at this point. There's a lot going on in David's life. David experienced a lot of hurt. A lot of you, you've experienced a lot of hurt. Things have happened in your life that were out of your control, that, nobody, that, that when you were a kid, you couldn't control what happened to you, something bad happened to you, and here you are suffering the consequences, running from it years and years and years down the road, just like David was running. Some of you, your marriage might be in trouble tonight. 
Man, you may have found out that your husband or your wife has been cheating on you, they've been lying on you, they've been betraying you, and, and you feel hurt by them right now. Some of you, you may have gone into business with somebody and uh, they were crooked with the books and they left you uh, all this mess to clean up, right? And, and, and you're, you're hurting from that. Some of you may have been betrayed by a friend, someone you thought you could trust, someone you thought that you could count on, and they've let you down time and time again. You've gotten hurt. You're just like David. You're vulnerable. You feel like you just can't escape this thing. And a lot of you are holding on to things that you feel like are rightfully yours. You feel like you're, you're holding on to things that are rightfully yours. I can't forgive this person after what they did to me. I can't do that. They don't deserve to be forgiven, right? I can't, I, I can't put myself in this situation again. Like, I deserve better than this, Right? And all of a sudden, you find yourself at the crossroads of a decision. And I believe all of us make this decision a lot, probably multiple times a day in a lot of small ways, but in a lot of big ways, we make the decision. And the decision is this. When you get to a situation where you can lash out and you can do something rash and you can do something impulsively, you come to the crossroads of making a decision. Are you gonna be a person that reacts or are you gonna be a person that responds? And that's what I wanna end talking to you about tonight. Are you a person that is reactive or are you a person that's responsive? Are you a person that just flies off when something doesn't go your way? Do you react? Now, if you've driven with me at any point in time during rush hour traffic, which some of our team's going to a conference tomorrow, I apologize in advance, okay? I'm gonna try to not be, a re- I'm gonna try to be a responder tomorrow, not a reactor. But if you dream with me, baby, I can react real good in the car, right? And I got my, the Oasis sticker on the back of my car and Stephanie will nudge me and be like, Pastor, you know, don't, the, the sticker's on the back of your car. But I'm good at reacting. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'll react like that. I'll scream at them from inside my car. I'll lay on the horn. I'll never give the one finger salute. I draw the line somewhere, but I say some nasty things to people in the car, right? How do you react when you get cut off in traffic? Do you react or do you respond? There's a big difference between reacting and responding. Let's talk about people that react for a second. There's a lot of people in here, most of us are reactive people. If you look at David's story, there were 400 soldiers that wanted to react in that moment. They wanted to, for David to take that opportunity. Oh, you gotta do it, David. Come on, it, it's gonna be so much better if you do this, right? You gotta take him out. They were reactive. There was one responder in this story, and he was David. Reactive people can have a hard time in life. And that's from the Bible. I'm gonna read a verse in a second. But reactive people tend to fly off the handle super fast. They tend to be people that are very impulsive. If you look up impulsive in the dictionary, you will see a picture of me, I think, sitting right next to it, right? I'm the guy that will watch the infomercial and look at Steph and go, we need five of those. Like, I don't know how we're gonna live without these things, right? Like, I need this, right? I I have to have, I'm impulsive, I'm reactive. I see a new item at Taco Bell, my car will find its way into the the drive, I don't even know how it happens. My car finds its way into the drive-thru because I'm reactive, right? Like, you're, what do you, how do you react when your kids disrespect you? Right? They say, they say something real smart, Alec, to you, right? Like, what did you just say to me? Right? Do you react? How do you react when you receive news that you don't want to hear? When something disappointing happens to you, how do you react? 
Do you, re, do you react? Do you respond? What do you do? How do you react when you get a bad doctor's report? Do you have anxiety? Are you fearful? Does it cause you to get into this deep, deep state of depression? And let me tell you, it's not bad to struggle with these things. But that can't be our first reaction. How do you react when your spouse doesn't pick up the socks after you've asked them to six million times, right? Stephanie's laughing because that's my thing. I leave socks everywhere, right? How do you react? How do you react to your spouse and they do that and whatever annoying things they do in your house, right? Do, do you react or do you respond to these things? Because here's what I know. Reactors are great at rationalizing how they feel. David and really all of his troops couldn't rationalize why he should have killed Saul when he was in the cave. He was by himself. David's already been anointed king. He could have rightfully taken what was rightfully his, right? That was very reactive. They were trying to rationalize. They were even using God. They were saying, God has delivered you this man right here. Like, obviously, God wants you to, do, God wants you to murder this guy. Like, come on. They were rationalizing. Well, here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 14 in the Passion Translation. I love this translation. It says, you can rationalize it all you want and justify the path of error you have chosen. But you'll find out in the end that you took the road to destruction. Listen, we're great at rationalizing things in the moment. When we're reacting, it's easy to rationalize. But how many of you have gone down that path? You've reacted in a way that you know wasn't right, and all of a sudden you're like, I just ruined everything, right? Like I reacted and I ruined everything. Here's what the Bible says. Here's another thing, Proverbs 14. An impulsive person has a short fuse, and can ruin everything. How many people have ruined things because you've been impulsive in the way you've reacted to something? Come on, come be honest. I have this week, all right? I've done it. I, I'm bad at this. I can fly off the handle like that, right? And it ruins everything. But the Bible says, but the wise show self-control. Here's what I know. You can choose to react all you want. But when you react... You're acting in the moment, and most of the time, you're acting in a way that only serves yourself. It's never reacting in a way that's gonna help the other person. It's reacting in a way where only you are gonna feel better after that, and really, after you see the damage you've done, after you've taken the road of destruction, like the Bible says, you really go, I hate that I did that. I hate that I said those words. I hate that I felt that way. I hate that I reacted that way. But the Bible says, a wise person, a person who is full of wisdom, knows that instead of reacting, instead of being impulsive, to have self-control. David, all of us in here would agree that David should have killed Saul. I would have been on, I would have been on team kill Saul, both times. But David knew that's not, he, he wasn't a reactor, he was a responder. So let's talk about responders for a second. Uh, if you have ever been in a situation where you have needed an EMT, a fireman, a police officer, or anything like that, you are very glad that they are not called first reactors, right? They're not called first reactors. What are they called? First what? Responders. 
Now, why are they called first responders? Do what? They keep a level head and they know what they're going to do when they get there. They know if you if you've been in a, say you're in a bad car accident and you are going to die if a first responder doesn't come and help you. Here's what you you don't want a first reactor. Here's what a first reactor would do if they showed up on the scene. Oh my gosh, there's so much blood. I don't even know what I'm going to do. Oh, someone should help this guy, right? Like you don't want that dude helping you. You want someone to go, all right, let me see what's going on. I see you have a broken leg here. I know, okay, I got it. You want to know, you want to have someone that knows what they're doing, that's calm, that can make decisions, wise decisions, someone that knows how to help you. Because if they're not going to respond to you, if they're going to react to you, they don't know how to help you. I want to be like a first responder. And so here's what we have to remember. If you want to be a responder, You need to decide in the present. You need to decide right now who you're gonna be in the future. You can't wait till the moment comes to decide to respond to something. It's too late. You're in the reaction zone. You're only gonna react then. But you can decide right now, I'm gonna be loving. I'm gonna be gracious. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to do these things so that whenever the moment comes, whatever that moment is, you get the bad news, you get disrespected by your kids, your spouse is that sock thing that's really annoying, right? Like it comes to the moment where you can react and you can lash out. But if you decide right now, say, hey, I'm not gonna do, I'm gonna be patient, I'm gonna be kind, I'm gonna be loving, I'm gonna be gracious. So that when the moment comes and you're in the heat of the moment, you can respond instead of react. David had made this decision. He had said, the Lord has told me I am not to kill the Lord's anointed. I'm not gonna do it. It might feel right, it might seem right, it might be right in everyone else's eyes, but God told me not to do it, and so when the heat of the moment comes, I'm not gonna react and do it, I'm gonna respond and say no. I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna have already thought about it. I'm gonna have already been there in my mind before the moment comes. Now, which are you? Are you a reactor Or are you a responder? I know that the people in my life that I want to be like, my mentors, our overseers, um, uh, the way we're structured at our church is Stephanie and I's accountability and oversight comes from other pastors that aren't, they don't live here. One of them lives in New York, one lives in Florida. And they're some of our, I was on the phone with them yesterday, one of them, talking about something. And I love that because I can tend to be a reactor. But my overseers, our overseers are responders. They sit and go, they ask me questions and they make me stop and pump the brakes for a second and go, hey, that probably isn't a good idea to rush into that. You should pray fast about that for a little bit longer. You should, you should respond to that, not react to that. We also have a board, a financial board. And there's, there's been a time where Steph and I felt strongly about, man, we're gonna buy this thing. It's gonna be great for our church. And we're, we're all in on it. And the, the people on our board, they push back, go, no, 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 no. Let's, let's respond to this. Let's wait on this. Let's see what happens. Let's be wise here. Don't be impulsive, right? Thank God for these people, by the way, okay? Because we wouldn't have a church right now. I'm just telling you, I need people like that in my life. And you need people like that in your life. Most of us are reactors. I don't know very many responders, right? Most people are reactors. We need help in this area. 
you know, and I would tell you, you need to get around some people that can help you kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Social media, by the way, full of reactors. You've seen it, right? Election time last year, my gosh. It was like the Facebook was the worst place on planet Earth, right? The darkest place of all time. Why? Everybody's reacting to something. Everybody's reacting. It's so toxic. And, and a lot of times, Christians can be known as the most reactive people. We can be known as the people that just point and go, oh, he was wrong. I can't believe he did. Oh, my gosh. I can't. You're reacting. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus responded. Jesus met people in their mess. And Jesus said, the woman who got caught in adultery, we talked about her, you know, like week two of this church. And everybody was reacting to this woman. Everybody was going, the, the, the law says we should stone this woman. We need to kill her. She was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus, what do you say? Jesus didn't react. He responded. And he responded with truth. He told her, hey, stop doing this. Because he knew that she was unhappy. She knew that she wasn't living in fulfillment. He said, go and sin no more. Come on, there's a better way. He responded to her. He didn't react to her like everybody else. And that's what kind of church we're gonna be. We're, I wanna respond. I don't wanna react to things and get, be known for the person that's just mad and impulsive. Our church, like, you know, we're gonna say, I don't wanna be known as a church that's all you know about us is what we're against. I wanna be a church where you know what we're for. You know what I mean? I don't wanna react I want to respond, and responding means to get with people, have conversations with people. It doesn't happen on social media. It doesn't happen in making statements. It happens by connecting with people. That's how you respond. That's what I want to be. But what are you? Do you find yourself reacting a lot? Do you need to take a little pause on Facebook a little bit? Stop reacting to every political post out there? Right? Do you just need to chill out, respond, think about it for a second, decide, like, who do I really want to be? Because here's what I know. You, who you are pours out what you do. The Bible says it this way. Uh, out, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So if you're a reactive person, there's a 100% chance that there's something unresolved going on in here that you need to settle so that you can be a responsive person. That's what David had figured out. And even when we talk about next week, probably one of the biggest mistakes David has ever made. We're going to talk about it. Adultery and murder. Come back next week. It's going to be great. I'm going to bless you. All right. We're going to talk about it. Even in the midst of David doing these things, he never lost sight of who he was. He always responded. And I'm going to let you know today that you have an opportunity to change who you are right now. And you can choose to be a responder. But that starts with responding to this question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Your response to Jesus means everything. If you want to be a person after God's own heart, you start with Jesus. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes in this place. And, uh, and maybe you have never stepped into a relationship with Jesus before. Maybe you've never responded to Jesus. Well, let me tell you this. Following Jesus will be the best thing you could possibly do. I'm not promising that your circumstances are gonna change. I can't make that promise to you. But I can promise you peace. 
I can promise you the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things are yours when you choose to follow Jesus. Everybody wants more of those things. But how you respond to Jesus means everything. So if you wanna make that decision today to follow Jesus, on the count of three, I just wanna ask you to raise your hand. And I wanna pray for you tonight. No one's looking around. And if you wanna follow Jesus tonight, just raise your hand on one, two, three. Awesome, you can put your hands down. If you're raising your hand, or maybe you didn't even wanna raise your hand, you feel shy, embarrassed, whatever. In your heart, I want you to say this prayer. And this prayer is not magical, but the words, are, the words aren't important, but your heart is important. If you want to ask Jesus into your heart, I want you to say this. Say, dear God, I need you. God, I invite you into my life to be the Lord of my life. And in the best way I know how, I will live for you. In Jesus' name. Come on, give people a hand in here that made that decision today. Hey, we love you very, very much. I'm, I look forward to Sunday so much. I love it um, because I get, we get to see you guys. We get to hang out with you guys in person. Man, we started this church online and it was killing me. I'm not gonna lie, like every week I'm like, gosh, I wanna be with people so bad. I'm so glad that that's here. And uh, hey, if you're here and you didn't get to make it to week one of our growth track last week, you can jump in tonight. We don't care. We got plenty of food for you. We have a binder for you to work through the whole class. But the growth track is how you discover your purpose, how you are going to discover how God wired you so that you can make a difference. At, at Oasis Church, we want people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose so they can make a difference. I see you back there. I know you remembered this, right, from last week. But it's for real. This is how you discover your purpose. And uh, we would love for you to join us. So don't feel like you need to be here last week for week one. You can jump in for week two. That's happening downstairs. You may not even know this place had a downstairs. But if you take a right, you'll see a staircase right there. Go downstairs. There's a big old basement down there that's this size. All right. So we'd love to see you down there. But if you're not going to come to that, we will see you next week at 4 p.m. We're going to wrap up this series and talk about, about a little bit of David and Bathsheba. All right. Love you guys. Y'all have a great week. Okay.